Let's pray as we get started. Father, thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you for who you are and what you've done and what you are doing. God, I pray as we open up your word here today that you would bless it uh, because we know you created your word. These are your words, God. You uh, breathed them out to us and they never return void. And so God, I pray as we read them and hear them today that you would give us ears to hear and then obey. God, and help me to communicate it clearly and truthfully. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be there for a little while. And then we'll go to Exodus chapter 35, which is in the second book uh, of the Bible. And so it'll be at the beginning, but we'll start in Ephesians 2 and then get to Exodus chapter 35. And we're going through the objectives we have as a church to accomplish as a part of our multiply initiative. We, we started multiply at the beginning of this year saying we want to multiply campuses and new churches. And now we're coming back around saying we want to mobilize people in order to multiply into other cities, new, new churches, new campuses. And there's five uh, specific objectives that we are seeking to accomplish that we want to mobilize people to do so that the church can multiply. And if you were here uh, for the first three weeks of this series, uh, I'm going to recap it quickly uh, because good reminder, but then there's some of you that weren't here, so you can kind of get caught up in what we've talked about. But the number one objective is spiritual development. That is what we call our growth process. That is everything that we're trying to do to help people to grow, to take their next step, to, to know Jesus. That's the gospel. Get connected in relationships, obedience, do good works. That's the process of growth. And so we want to help people, individuals, to grow. That is everything that we're doing. That is the whole reason why our church exists. And so as we multiply into other campuses, other churches, first and foremost, that's what we want to mobilize people to accomplish. The second one is very connected to that one as family development. Not only are we trying to grow people, we're trying to grow families. We're trying to grow kids and students. And so we want to partner with parents to make that happen because our church, just like our world, is only as strong as our families. And so we want to make sure that, that there is this partnership happening where the church and family are developing their kids, developing their students to, to grow, to know Jesus. And then last week, we looked at objective number three, which is generosity development. And generosity development is so much more than raising money. It's about raising generous people because being generous is one of the very key components of growth. In fact, I believe it's one of the markers of spiritual growth. That's why Jesus talked about it so much. Martin Luther said the last thing to get baptized in a person is their wallet. And so when you really become generous, I think you're becoming the most like God. And so we are saying we want to develop generous people and generous people will give. And you heard some of that earlier about how your giving is directly affecting our ability to multiply what's happening in Jasper, what's happening all over. And we will break ground soon in Jasper. We're still working through some site issues there and trying to get that developed. But, but what I want you to understand is your generosity is really making a huge difference, not just here locally, but also nationally and internationally. And that's what Multiply is all about. We are trying to start campuses and churches. And so we, start, uh, we started Jasper. That was our first campus. We'll continue to start more. We're also starting churches as well beyond our church. Uh, our church and a church in Cartersville called Cross Point City, we're kind of partner churches, started a church planning network where our goal is to start 50 churches in the next five years. And so as a church and as other churches, yeah. And 
And we're partnering with other churches. There's now about eight or nine churches in our network that we're working together. In fact, I had a meeting on Thursday with four church planners that we as churches are working together to disciple them. They're in a year-long mentorship process where they're teaching them about how to plant a church. And so I was talking to them about vision and process and all that kind of stuff. And it's not just nationally, but it's also internationally. You know, all the orange bags that you've brought and, and brought your clothes and, and gathered up, we filled up not only the trailer full, but another truck as well. Because you guys have, uh, I guess, so many clothes that you don't wear anymore or whatever. Um, but we're, the reason why we're doing that is because we're taking those clothes and then those will be turned into money sold. And then that money will be used for food in Kenya. But not just for food, but when we feed people in Kenya through Serve International, one of our outreach partners, then we are planting churches with the people that are saved. And so what we are doing, yeah, you can clap for that as well. So as a church, as a part of Multiply, we are funding two church plants. And so we will have a Revolution Kenya that is there in Northwest Kenya. And, and we're going in February, myself, my wife, there's a whole team from Revolution. It's just a Revolution Church team where we're going to distribute that food and see. We've already funded it and the buildings are being constructed now as we speak. And so when we go, we'll document all that, bring it back, show you that this is what your giving is doing. So it's, again, it's not just our church, it's literally churches all over the world. We have meetings later this month about how to plant churches in Haiti and Dominican Republic as well. And so I want you to see that your generosity is making a huge difference, not just in our church, but way beyond our church. It's literally building the kingdom. And so lastly, before I move on, if you weren't here last week and you didn't hear about this, but if you have not made a commitment to multiply, this is in the seat back in front of you. We're asking you to make a commitment over and above your regular giving for the next two years. So 2018 and 2019. So if you haven't made a commitment to that, I want you to make a commitment to that one, because like I told you last week, only 18% of our church that have given has made a commitment to it. So one, it's about heart. It's about all of us being in the same heart, being on the same team, doing the same things. But it just enables us to plant more churches. It enables us to make a difference uh, in the kingdom of God. And so make sure that you do that. This week, we're on objective number four. Objective number four, there are five. And so we'll do the fifth one next week. But objective number four is one that a lot of times I think gets overlooked in church or it for sure doesn't get celebrated in church. And so when we talk about this objective, I want us to understand that the church should be celebrating this objective, should be uh, championing this and doing everything we can to develop this one objective. And so let me give it to you. Then I'm going to give you the biblical basis in Ephesians chapter two of why this is an objective for us. Objective number four is this artist development, artist development. And when I say artists, what I mean, and we'll unpack this later, are, are those who God has given the skill, artistic skill, to devise artistic expressions. And so we're talking about artist development. What we're saying as a church is, is we want to be artistic. We want to leverage art for the sake of the glory of God. And the primary reason is because God himself is an artist. So let's jump in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. Let's talk about God. Let me give you the biblical basis of it. And then let me talk about artists in Exodus chapter 35. So look at Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. It says, for we, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For we, plural, are his singular workmanship. Depending upon your translation, it may say handiwork. 
What's amazing to me is that word there, that Greek word for workmanship is the Greek word poema. It's where we get our English word poem. So literally it says we are God's poem. So God was a poet and you didn't know it, right? See, I rhyme all the time, right? So I, I'm, I'm not a poet and you do know it, right? But, but the point is this, God is the consummate artist. We would use the word creator. He is the creator. The Bible says in the beginning, God, God has always existed. God has never had a Genesis, but the creation did have a Genesis and Genesis means beginning. That's why the book is called that. And the beginning that we have, that we see all came from God. God is the creator. But let's stop and think about that for a second. So if God is the creator, that means he's creative. That means he's an artist. And I think it's important for us to understand this because again, I said this last week, a lot of us think so wrongly about God. He's that old man just looking to see whom he may devour, right? Like that's just kind of how we think about God. You can walk in church and, and cuss and he's gonna strike you down, right? And so well, that's kind of how we think about God. But, but no, you need to understand something. God's an artist. And why does an artist ever create art? An artist creates art to be enjoyed. For others to see it and enjoy it. And you're like, oh, that's the purpose of art? I was just confused by it. Yeah, that's the purpose. It's to enjoy it. So I want you to think about it like this. When you walk outside and you see the mountains and you see the trees, especially this time of year, when you, when you see the colors changing, man, I want to be a lot like leaves when I die. I want to get more colorful, right? I was telling that to my daughter the other day and she thought it was a little morbid because yeah, then they do turn brown and fall off. But hey, in my final year, I want to be colorful, baby. But when you see that, when you see the red leaves, when you see the, the orange leaves, when you see the yellow, you, you marvel at that. You're like, wow, so beautiful. Well, when you do that, I want you to think God made the color red. He made the color yellow. He made the color orange. Why? It's not because he was bored. It's because he had so much love, so much creativity, so much creative power that he wanted to create, not only to fill the canvas, but God actually created the canvas. He actually created the materials. And then the Bible said he formed them together out of nothing. God didn't take raw materials like we do. God created the raw materials and then he put them together. So when you see the trees, when you see the colors, when you see the animals, right? I mean, every time I'm deer hunting, I'm like, praise God, right? I mean, I just enjoying it, right? awesome. God's creation. <laughs> Sorry if I offended some of you. <laughs> Tastes good, man. I'm just saying. Um, but when you see that, what do you think? What, what I'm trying to get you to see is when you see the, the animals, the trees, the insects, do, do you look at that with just amazement? I mean, just amazement, everything from the mosquito. I think the mosquito is a result of the fall. All right. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to ask God about that. I'm like, God, what about this? I'm like, what about the mosquito? I hate them. Right. A lot of us are afraid of roaches. I don't get it because roaches run from me. Mosquitoes attack me. And so roaches, I, I get, they look kind of crazy, but, but even think about that. When you look at the intricacies of the insects, the animals, the trees, the mountains, the ocean, God did all of that. Because he's an artist. He's a creator. 
But you know, his pinnacle of creation was not that. It was us. It was us. And so when you look at yourself in the mirror, let me ask you a simple question. Do you look at yourself and marvel at the handiwork of God? Now, if you're anything like other human beings, you criticize, right? Whatever you have, you want what someone else has. Well, here's the thing. Whatever they have, they want what you have. You got straight hair, they got curly. They want straight hair. Or they, I've confused my, you got straight, they got curly. They want straight, you want curly, right? And so we, and where does that come from? That doesn't come from God, does it? Would God create you and then give you the capacity to criticize his creation? No, because contrary to popular belief, criticism is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> we need to learn that in church. No, where does that, that comes from the devil. And, and why do you think that the devil is constantly speaking to you to criticize you? You want to know why? Because every time the devil sees you, it reminds him of God. Because you were created in God's image. That's what the Bible says. So you remind him of God. So he is constantly criticizing. What, did it, what would it do to our human nature, our soul, if we celebrated who we were and celebrated who others were instead of constantly criticized? You know what it would do? It would glorify God. Because we're glorifying the creation that he made. But what I want you to also see is when we image God, if we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, for good works, the Bible says, then part of those good works that God created in us is to be creative, is to be creative, to take the skills, the artistic capacity that God has put in us to use it to be creative. We don't create, God's the creator, but we can be creative with what God created. And when we do that, we image our creator. It's a lot of creator creatives right there, right? Like, I think I got all those words correct. But God created, and when we take what he created and we are creative, then we are glorifying the creator. And so what I want us to see as a church is we don't have to be um, turned off by creativity. We don't have to kind of shy away from artistic design. Because in church history, and just go back and look at this in church history, the church kind of has an on-again, off-again relationship with art. Um, early on in church history, uh, the, it really almost all art came out of the church or was commissioned by the church. This is why you would have church buildings with all kinds of amazing paintings and sculptures and stained glass windows. But there were periods throughout the church history where people came along and said, you know, the Bible said not to have any graven image, and that's an image. It's the Greek word icon, and so we can't have that. So they took all the art out of the church. You imagine that church? And then thankfully they brought it back and then they took it out and then they brought it back. And, and so we kind of have this weird relationship with art sometimes because we think it's of the world. But what I'm trying to show you is no, it's of God. God is the creator. The devil can't create. He can only pervert. God is the creator and he created us to be creative. And when we are creative and we are expressive in our art, then it glorifies God. Now flip over to Exodus chapter 35. I want to point out specific to you about artists. And this is a story in the Old Testament, one that I honestly wasn't even that familiar with um, before I started studying it this week, but it's a really cool story. 
Because when God freed the nation of Israel out of Egypt, they were in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. When he freed them, they were going into the promised land. And as a part of the promised land, they were going to build a temple. And God gave specific instructions on how to build this temple. And he didn't give instructions for it to be grandiose, but he gave instructions for it uh, and how it was supposed to be, the artistic design of it, because it, again, it imaged him. It was, it was about celebrating and glorifying him. And so in Exodus chapter 35, you see Moses telling the people what God had told Moses in Exodus 31. We're not going to turn there, but you can just write that down as a reference. Exodus 31, God told Moses about this specific guy that God had made skilled and what he wanted him to do with the temple. And now Moses is telling the people. So let's look at this. Exodus chapter 35, starting in verse 30, it says this, then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel. I'm going to do my best to say these words, these names, right? I, I listen to you version. Let it read it to me audibly just so I can know the words too sometimes, all right? So this one, I, just because I went to seminary doesn't mean I can say every Bible word. And so Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. Now listen to verse 31. And has filled him with the spirit of God. That's first. That's important. With the spirit of God. Now look at the next one with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, verse 32, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. So let's, let's chat for a little bit about this. Moses is telling the people about what God had done in Bezalel. This man that God had created, he had given him or filled him, the Bible says, with some specific things. First and foremost, it says, it filled him with the spirit of God. Now that is first, that is primary. And it's very interesting to me that that's where it falls. It is first. Why? Because I can have artistic skill and not the spirit of God, and I'll be glorifying myself instead of God. If I have the skill, and we'll get into skill in just a second. If I have the skill without the spirit, then my skill is going to be used to glorify me, which artists all over the world do today. And we go to their worship services. They're called concerts, right? This is what amazes me about church folks sometimes. They'll come into church and they're like this when it comes to worship. Then they go to Def Leppard and the hands are up, <laughs> right? You're like, who is Def Leppard? <laughs> who is, I don't you know who yours is, right? Um, I was telling my son and his buddy, because my kids love Christian rap, and we listen to Cray and all kinds of people, and I was like, you know, I was born when rap first came out, <laughs> and my, my son's friend was like, really? <laughs> like, yeah, it's a fairly new art form, right? Um, but you can have the skill, and if you have the skill without the Spirit of God, then your skill is used to puff yourself up, to glorify yourself. And so first and foremost, he says, I've given him skill but more than that, I've given him the spirit of God. I have filled him with the spirit of God. When we talk about art here or artists, I want you to understand something. The first thing we are looking for in an artist, whether it's a musician on stage, a singer on stage, is are they filled with the spirit of God? Do they have a sensitivity to the spirit? Do they, do they know God? Are they, are they in relationship with God? Because we don't just want people to use their skill. We want people to use their skill to glorify God. And there's, there's all kinds of, of skill. We'll get into that in just a second, but there's only one spirit. 
That's the Holy Spirit. There's only one Spirit of God. And that Spirit of God is the very Spirit, the Bible says, that was hovering over the face of the earth and bringing things into existence. And so, of course, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and all involved in that creative process. But first and foremost, if we don't have the Spirit of God, then we have nothing. Because our art or our skill or our talents or our abilities are simply just going to terminate on themselves. It's just for us. So I think first and foremost, when we talk about artistic development or artist development, what we're looking for in a person is, do they love God? Do they love Jesus? Are they in relationship with Jesus? I remember when I first came here and I was being interviewed by the... um, the search team that had been assembled here as a part of our church and Thad, who's our worship leader or worship pastor, he asked me one question. Everybody else had a bunch of questions. And if you know Thad, it's really in line with Thad. He asked me one question and it was simple. He said, do you love Jesus? And I was kind of taken back and I was like, this is what I thought. I can say yes, but is that like good enough? So I said, yes. And then I started proceeding to give examples. I was about halfway through and Thad was like, no, that's good. I was just looking for a yes. (laughs) Why? Because first and foremost, it didn't matter what my vision was. It didn't matter my ability. It didn't matter my skill. If I don't love Jesus, if I don't have the Holy Spirit, if I'm not in relationship with God, then this whole thing ain't about Jesus. And so first and foremost, I love how he says this guy, he filled him with the Spirit of God. Secondly, he does say, He filled him with skill. So when you think about it from artist standpoint, what we're saying is we're looking for people who are filled with the spirit of God and filled with skill. Now, this is where it starts to differentiate. Everybody's got the same spirit. Paul says this in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, but not the same gift. There's certain gifts that I have that you don't have. There's certain gifts that you have that I don't have. And what we're saying as a church, God has gifted some with artistic skill. It's just a gift. It's in them. And it's not in me to sing. Like God didn't make me to sing. But, but orating, preaching is in itself an art form. He gifted that. And as a parent, this is what I love about being a parent. As a parent, my job and your job is not to put our gifts in our kids, but to figure out what gifts did he put in our kids and help bring those out. See, I, I tell parents this all the time when I, when I have conversations, I, a lot more when I was a, a student pastor, I said, listen, your kids came hardwired, hardwired. When they were born, when God formed them together in their mother's womb, he gave them certain skill and abilities and talents. He put it in them. And my job as a father is not to put something in them, but it's to get out what God put in. That's my job. That's our job as parents. Whatever that skill is. And and some of our kids are more artistically skilled. And maybe that's because you're more artistically skilled. My wife is a singer. I'm not. And I'll never forget my son. When he was about a year and a half old, we were in in South Texas. And Brian Damero, who's on staff here now, he's one of our students back then. So was Corey. And, And Brian started playing drums. And my son would go over to his house all the time because his parents were like our third set of grandparents. And so they helped raise Jackson the first seven years of his life. 
And I'll never forget, he went over to their house one time and, and Brian had this whole huge drum set set up in his bedroom, you know, like where you just got a little place to sleep and then here's the whole drum set. Eventually it went from that to an electronic one to, you know, give the neighbors and his parents a break. But, but early on, my son went over there. Jackson was like a year and a half and, and he's listening to Brian play the drums and he sits down on the chair, grabs the drumsticks, crosses his hands and just starts beating. I've got a picture of it. I wish I would have thought enough to, to put it up here. I'll show it to you maybe at another time because he had long hair like the bowl cut, you know, back then. And he just starts playing. He didn't get that from me. I mean, that boy's got way more rhythm than I got. But it was in him. And so my job as a father, as, as parents is, okay, I'm, I recognize that. God put that in him. So guess what? We got a bedroom now with a whole full drum set in it. It was in Jackson's room, but we have another room, so we put it in that room so that Jackson could have more room in his room. And maybe we'll get to electronic one you know, pretty soon, but as of right now, it sounds pretty good. You know? But he, it's in him. He just started playing. And, and as a parent, it's my job to help recognize that skill and bring that out. So here's what I'm saying. As a pastor, just like parents, we want to do the same thing in the church. We want to recognize that God put certain artistic skills in people and we want to help bring them out. We want to recognize them. We want to celebrate them. And the church should always celebrate that. The church should always be, be trying to think about the next generation when it comes to artistic skill and design and let the next generation be artistic in a way that God made them to be artistic. But, but the church always struggles with that. Because a lot of times what happens in church world is we think that what we've always done is the best way to do it. And the joke that I make about church is if you do it three times, it's the way it's always been done. And so as a church, music styles change. And if you were in church about 20 or so years ago, there was this thing called worship wars. I'm like, why is this a war? And the, and the thing that was happening was the style of music was changing or it had changed and the church was just kind of lagging behind. But do you understand that when the church and art and music, when it celebrated really for about 1500, 1600 years in the church, the church was the leading voice when it came to music or when it came to creative, when it came to writing, when it came to art. In fact, in the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, who's considered the founder of the Protestant Reformation, even though that wasn't his goal, was a, a, a pretty prolific hymn writer. And he wrote hymns. And, and one of the reasons why he wrote hymns is because he didn't like the music of the day. But you know, when he started writing hymns, people started criticizing him because they weren't churchy enough. They were too simple. They were too rhythmic. But here's what Martin Luther said. I'm going to read you this quote. He says, these songs were arranged in four parts to give the young who should at any rate be trained in music and other fine arts, something to wean them away from the love ballads and carnal songs that made me, made me laugh and to teach them something of value in their place, thus combining the good with the pleasing as is proper for youth. So you want to know why Martin Luther wrote the hymns that he did so that they didn't lose a generation. That's why he wrote them. And when they first started singing them in church, a lot of the established church people hated them. We're talking about hymns. I guess that was the Lord. I don't know. More than likely the stubble on my face. But, but it's funny. When the hymns first came out, oh, that's too singable. That's too simple. And they made them simple. 
And, and, and please hear me. I love hymns. I got no, I love, when I went to church, that's what we sang. My favorite hymn is, is hymn 246 in the Baptist hymnal, Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me. Come on. See you with me? You got it, right? Everywhere, right? But do you see how singable that was? You know why he made that? Because he was trying to reach the next generation with worship. See, the Protestant Reformation was all about accessibility, accessibility to the word and accessibility to worship. And it, re- check this, I'm gonna play, it revolutionized the church. <laughs> See what I did there? I'm, I'm creative, man. But, but what am I saying? I'm also sweating. What am I saying? The church should not, when new art forms come as a, as a way to communicate ancient truths, the church shouldn't back away from that. It should celebrate it. The church should be on the bleeding edge of that. And now because of the divide between the church and the government, which I think is a good division, separation of church and state, the church was the leading edge of that. And the goal was not to keep the church out of the state. The goal was to keep the state out of the church. That was the goal. We've gotten it backwards today. But the goal, especially here in America, was no, the government can't tell us what to do. Freedom of worship. That is why it is number one. But what I'm saying is this. When it it comes to worship and artistic expression, the church shouldn't let the culture be the creative ones. Why? Because the church has way more of a biblical basis in order to be creative than the world does. They are robbing the expression for their own glory. But yet the church, we just sit back and church is supposed to be boring. It's supposed to be dull, right? No. Anytime you read about the angels in heaven, you know what they're doing? Singing. Holy, holy, holy. Right? Repeats three times. And you only repeat something three times when you're talking about perfection. So they're singing. I mean, you read the Old Testament, you look at David. When, when, the, when the Ark of the Covenant came through, homeboy danced his clothes off. And yet Baptists don't dance. Where did we get that one? Maybe it's because Baptists don't dance very well. And hear me, I'm, I'm Baptist, right? Like, as my people. I'm not talking about, I gotta be very careful because I'm a, like, I spent a lot of my life outside of church. And so I'm not talking about the, the dancing that goes on in clubs. That's not what I'm saying. Again, that's a cheap knockoff. But when's the last time you were so caught up in the amazingness of God that you just couldn't help but sing, you couldn't help but clap, you couldn't help but dance? What I'm saying is that is a form of expression. That's what art is. That's what he said, to devise artistic designs. Why? Because in that artistic expression and design, people get to experience God in a way that they maybe couldn't have done otherwise. And so as a church, all we're saying is we want to not only harness that because we believe God wants it to be harnessed, but because in doing so, it glorifies him. And it allows an entire group of people with artistic skill to know, oh, I can use this for the glory of God. So I want you to understand something. God creates trees. 
not furniture. Think about it. God's never made furniture a day in his life. Why? He wants us to make the furniture. He creates the trees. He creates the substance. That's what he said here. Carving wood, taking silver and gold. See, God creates the gold. He doesn't create the ring. And that's what God wants the church to be a part of, to use the natural resources that God created and use them and devise them and carve them and shape them and mold them and make them into an expression that glorifies him. Not the artist, the individual artist, but the ultimate artist. And that's what the church needs to be a part of. And what we're saying as a church, that's what we want to be a part of. And so as we multiply campuses and churches, we're going to need more and more artists. Which now look at verse 34. I think this is important too, 34 and 35. It says, and he, God, has inspired him, Bezalel, to teach both him and... Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, uh, I had it down like pre-service. That guy, the son of the other guy. Of, <laughs> I'd just rather not say it than mispronounce it, right? Of the tribe of Dan. Verse 35. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done. Now listen to this. By an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Do you hear that list? But the thing I want to focus on is not only did God make Bezalel an artist, but he made him a teacher to instruct. Why? So that the gifts that God put in him, he could use to bring out in others. See, not only do we want to celebrate artistry here, not, not just in music, not just in song, but in, in graphic design and technical arts and creative in writing and storytelling and videographer. Uh, again, you hear that list. It's, it's not that we need an embroider per se in the church, but, but the point is all that are artistic skills that God put in people. And there's got to be people who have that artistic skill to recognize that skill and apprentice them to bring it out. Are you with me there? That's the point. And, and see, we've totally designed education in this country to go away from the apprentice model, but that's how it was done for thousands of years. You, if you wanted to be a blacksmith, you apprenticed with the blacksmith and he taught you how to do it. And so you learned, you were an apprentice. And so as a church, we're saying we want, and we'll talk more about this next week when we get into leadership development, we're saying we want to apprentice people, to use skilled people, to teach people, other people that have skill to bring it out. Let me give you an example. My son, who I was telling you, who plays drums, Chris Wong, who is one of our drummers here at church, for several months, he apprenticed my son, and they sat right back here on this drum set, and, and he taught him how to play, taught him how to do the whole set, taught him rhythm, talked about all kinds of stuff. Why? Because I can't teach him. A drummer's got to teach a drummer. And what we're saying as a church is not only do we want to celebrate artistic expression, but we want to apprentice people into it. Why? For the next generation. Just like the original hymn writers were doing it so they didn't lose a generation. So every generation of the church has got to apprentice the next generation to come up and do it their way and not call it evil. And so we want to celebrate that as a church. 
We want to continue to be revolutionary, to use the creativity that God has given us. You want to know why we're multiplying? Because if we don't multiply, we die. We don't mobilize people. If we don't apprentice people to move forward as a church, then we die. There is no sitting still as a church. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. I'm either growing or I'm decreasing. And so as a church, the reason why we've got all these objectives and the reason why I'm highlighting this one is I don't ever want the church to not experience the skill and the gifting that God put in people. Because when when we apprentice it and bring it out of people, the church is built up. The church is built up and worship happens. Why? Because we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. For. It's a preposition of reference there, saying for the purpose of. And so I want you to understand something. When we talk about good works, we're not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. See, the work of Christ is the ground of our salvation. And the fruit of our life is the goal of salvation. It's the difference between root and fruit, seed and fruit. We are saved by God's work, God's handiwork, God's workmanship. That's how we're saved. When I say by our works, please understand this. If you misunderstand works and you think you are saved because you are good, then you misunderstood it. No, you're not saved by your works. You're saved for work. You are saved by the work of God on your behalf. Why? Because God is the ultimate creator and worker. You can't create yourself anew. That, that's, think about it. That's how creation works. The creation doesn't create itself. There's got to be a creator behind the creation. And what Paul's saying there in Ephesians, not only is that true in a physical sense, that's true in a spiritual sense. You are created in Christ Jesus, not by your ability to do something for God, but by God's ability to do something for you. And so that's why we call it a gift. It's grace. So God works for you to save you. That's his gift to you. And here's what I'm saying. The leverage of your skill and gift is your gift back to God. God doesn't want you to do good works to earn your salvation. He wants you to do good works because it proves you have been saved. And so the gift of salvation comes by God's work for us. But then our ability to now take that, or, or better yet, to allow God to take that and use us to be creative is our gift back to him. And so you may not have the artistic skill because not everybody does. You heard my singing. But you can be filled with the spirit. You may not have the artistic skill. You got some skill and we're going to work to try to figure that out. We'll talk more about that next week. But you can be filled with the spirit because that is what's primary. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your work on our behalf. I thank you that we're saved by your work for us, not our work for you. We're saved because your creator, not only physically speaking, not only did you create our body, but God, we're saved because you created 
us anew, a new creation in Christ Jesus. You filled us with your spirit. And so God, I pray right now for anybody in the house or watching or listening that has never trusted you, who's never been filled with the spirit, who's never been saved, who's never understood the fact that this not about something they do for you. It's about something that you did for them in the cross. That Jesus died for them in their place for their sin. And if that's you, I want you to understand that you can receive the spirit. You can be saved. And so I want to help you if you've never done that, if you've never trusted Christ, you've never been saved, I'm going to ask you to pray with me to yourself, not out loud. And it's, it's not about a prayer that is some kind of magic. It's, it's just me introducing you to somebody. It's, it's about God working in you. And, and your prayer is just you're recognizing that. So if you want to trust him, pray with me again to yourself, not out loud. And it goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me. You sent your son to die in my place for my sin. Thank you for creating me anew in Christ. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Now, nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if you just trusted Christ, or if you're watching and listening, we want you to communicate to us. But if you're here, and you just trusted Christ, would you just simply do one thing for us? Just lift your hand up so we can see that. Thank you. Just lift it up. Leave it up just for a second. We've got some men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. And when they do that, you can put your hand down. Like I said, if you're watching or listening and you just trusted Christ, then please communicate with us so we can help you in your walk. Whether that's through our website or by calling the office or emailing us. But then those of us who would say that we've trusted Christ, you are filled with the Spirit. Now is the time to determine what your skill is. To ask God, what did God put in you? And if, if you're the type of person that, that God put in artistic skill, he made you a writer, a storyteller, a musician, a singer, technical artist, production, if God put that skill in you, then he wants to bring that out of you for the good of the church. And as a church, we want to celebrate that and help you. So please let us know if that's you. We have a whole process to, to help you get better in your skill and build up the body of Christ. But then some of us, we didn't get that artistic skill, and that's all right. We'll talk more next week about the skills that possibly we might have. But we can celebrate that and recognize it in others and, and work to bring it out. God, thank you. Thank you for filling all of us with the same spirit, but not gifting all of us with the same gift. Because it's the same spirit through the variety of gifts that makes it beautiful. And so, God, I pray that we would be a church that would work to develop that. And not copy culture, but lead culture. And continue to be a revolution. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before we get out of here, a couple things. First, can we give it up for those who just trusted Christ, man? That's awesome. Yeah.
greatest decision you've ever made, man. Greatest decision. Please follow up with us. There's a, co a connection card there. We want to know about it. Uh, if there's some, something you need to pray about or something you need to talk to somebody about, we will have response team people here down front. We'd love to have that conversation with you. Uh, but as always, make sure you're here next week for the fifth objective and hope you have a great week. I love you. We'll see you then.